Good morning. Turn to the person next to you and say you're looking pretty good this morning. Or somebody behind you. Now take a second look and try and convince them that you really mean it. If you'd have been at my party that night, you'd have heard that shout and then that smash and then those words. Viv Dean's broken a window. Vivian was in my class at school. She used to live in the Black Horse pub on Chapel Street in Salford. It was a Saturday night. I'd invited all my mates round. Me mum and dad had gone out with my auntie Edie. She wasn't my real auntie. But she worked in the chippy around the corner with me mum, so we called her auntie. Have you got aunties like that? Imagine you're a fly on the wall. The music was playing. The girls were dancing around their handbags. Do you ever do that, ladies? Some of you were out last night, weren't you? The lads were smoking part drive, trying to look hard. Five part drive, who remembers them? You've got some in your pocket, haven't you? The party was in full swing, and then the incident occurred. There was a massive smash. What's that? I ran through the kitchen door into the wooden outhouse that was attached to the back of the kitchen. This was a cheap, sulfured way of doing an extension. And Viv Dean had fallen over and put her hand through a big window. The glass was shattered into pieces. It had gone everywhere. There was a piece outside. There's a piece down the side of the settee. There was a piece in the yard, in the dog's bed. It was all over the place. Oh no, what am I going to do? My dad will kill me. He doesn't even know I'm having a party. The music stopped. Everybody started to panic. And then I heard the siren in the street. It was the police. The party came to an end because... Vivian Dean broke a window. Have incidents occurred in your life that have broke you into pieces, just like that broken window, and over time you feel like you've left a broken piece in one place, a broken piece in another place, a broken piece in this place, and a broken piece in that place? Do you know that you can pick up those broken pieces The message version of the Bible says that God can restore your life and he can come and pick up the broken pieces from the places where they were scattered in your life. You can pick up your broken pieces. This morning I'm going to take you on a journey to visit some of those places so that you can pick up your broken pieces. Here are four of the many different broken pieces that you can pick up. Number one. You can pick up the broken piece of fight. Many of you will know that sometimes in life, things can happen that can break your will to fight. Sometimes this can happen to a whole community. Take Moss Side, way back in the day, let's go there. Unemployment was high, housing quality was low. Injustice was the norm and racial equality was a no-no. This was the place where their fight 
was broken. I saw it on the news. Riots in Moss Side. There'd already been riots in Toxteth in Liverpool and Brixton in London. Now they were happening on our doorstep in Moss Side. These weren't race riots. This was the community against the feds. The phone rang. It was Craig. Aya Barrett, have you seen the news? Yeah, I've seen the news. Shall we go? Yeah, let's go. Craig rang Psycho. Psycho rang Newey, but he got the wrong number because he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> and we all went to stand with the Moss Side community. You should have seen it. Cars were overturned. Shots were on fire. People lay siege against the police station. The atmosphere was electric. The feds were lined up along a big grass verge. We were all on the road. Hundreds of others had come from all over the northwest to stand with the Mossai community. You should have seen the feds. They had their helmets on. They were carrying their riot shields and riot sticks. And as they came towards us, they tapped their shields. Tap, 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 to taunt us. The battle was on. They fought us and we fought back. At last, with others standing with them, the people of Mosside got their fight back. I'm not condoning rioting, not anymore. But this is how it works with God. See, with God standing with you, you can get your fight back. You can pick up your broken piece of fight. See, God can come and pick up that broken piece of fight from the place where it was scattered in your life. He did this for Adele. Adele was the last person to register for the first ever fixed conference that we hosted. It was in March 2013. Fixed is a conference for ex-addicts, recovering addicts, addicts and those with art for addicts. You've never seen so many people in church with tattoos. And that was just the leaders. Adele's upbringing was really tough because her mum is a heroin addict. And so was her dad. Adele has been in foster care, children's home. She attended 13 different schools. When she was 19 years of age, she found her dad dead on the kitchen floor after he'd taken some drugs. Can you imagine what her life was like? Her fight was broken. The words of Taylor Swift sum up Adele's situation. It's hard to fight when the fight isn't fair. I was first introduced to Adele by Joe. We closed registration for fixed three times, and I kept getting Facebook messages and emails and phone calls from other people that wanted to come, so we kept squeezing more people in. But then we closed registration for the final time, and then I got a message via Facebook from Joe asking if Adele could come to fix. So we gave her a place. Adele came to fix. And in the evening, she opened the door of her life and she asked God to come in. She became a Christian. And from that night on, her life has totally changed. She's since done a college course. She's passed a driving test. She started to work for us as a paid administrator. We trained her as a speaker and we've had her out speaking at schools and churches throughout the UK. And now... She's married to a pastor's son. 
I was chatting with Adele and she said to me, for years I was knocked down by the circumstances in my life. Because of this, my fight was broken. But since becoming a Christian, God has given me my fight back. Adele's fight was broken, but now she's got it back. See, God came and picked up that broken piece of fight from the place where it was scattered in your life. What about you? Where's the place where your fight was broken? Was your fight broken through a tough upbringing? Was your fight broken through an unfair situation that you had to face? Was your fight broken when one of life's circumstances knocked you down? Listen, wherever that place was where your fight was broken, God can help you pick it up again, just like he did with Adele. You can pick up your broken piece of fight. See, God can come and stand with you so that you can get your fight back. The Bible says that God will fight the battle for you. Listen, with God standing with you, you can fight the feds in your life. You can fight your fears. You can fight your emptiness. You can fight your doubts. You can fight your struggles. You can get your fight back. God can come and stand with you. I'm talking about broken pieces this morning. You can pick up your broken piece of fight. Number two, you can pick up your broken piece of innocence. My innocence was broken in that place of addiction. You can imagine that when your life revolves around crime, prison, taking drugs, sleeping around, your innocence gets smashed. I didn't really know the meaning of the word. But then God came and restored it. He came and picked up that broken piece of innocence from the place where it was scattered in my life. I was an addict for 15 years. And then God called me to be a missionary to the United Kingdom. Because that's what I am. And then eventually I went off to a really posh Bible college called Cliff College. And then I turns up. Nice one. Bang out of our door. In it. And in my final year at Cliff College in 1999, I got busy setting up a charity to act as an administration framework for the work that I believed that God had called me to do as a missionary to the United Kingdom. Because I didn't just want to work with one church or one denomination. I wanted to work with all different denominations and all different types of churches. So I needed a framework to make me accountable, first and foremost, but also to give me a structure to work from to be effective as that UK missionary. And our first office was in Rochdale in a place called Champness Hall. It was a businessman that owned this building. He was a Christian. It wasn't really an office at first. It was like a broom cupboard that hadn't been used for 50 years. But he gave me that room for free, so we spent £300. We put some carpets in and painted the walls, and that was my first office after leaving college. 1999. It was in Hall where I met Tina. Tina was working for a youth work organization at that time called the Pays Project. And the Pays Project did lots of schools work throughout the United Kingdom. And she'd come to Rochdale to set up the social action arm of Pays. She was the team leader. Let me describe Tina to you. She's strong, spiritual, I'm from the South, but I'm not going to hold that against her. 
It was Christmas 2002. And I saw Tina in the corridor. I said, hiya, Tina. She said, hiya, Barry. I said, Tina, what are you doing at Christmas? She's smaller than me. Are you going back to the south or are you staying in the north? She said, no, I'm staying in the north. I said, do you want to go out for a meal then, Tina? You should have seen her eyes light up. Oh, I'd love to go out for a meal with you, Barry. For me, this was platonic. I'd been at college and I had friendships and a lot of those friendships were with girls and I wasn't looking for anything more. But she was really keen. You should have seen the look on her face. Really keen. So I took her to Frankie and Benny's in the day. We chatted about work, we chatted about faith, and after Christmas I went into a little office. If you'd have been there, you'd have seen me. I said, Tina. She said, what? I said, Tina, I really enjoyed going out with you at Christmas. Do you fancy going out for another meal? You should have seen her face the second time. She says, oh, I'd love to go out for another meal with you, Barry. So I took her for a Chinese at tea time. We chatted about faith, we chatted about work, and then I went to Argentina because in my early days I was doing a lot of stuff overseas and I kind of drew that back and became more focused about eight years ago. And I was speaking in Argentina for three weeks and I knew she was going to Texas in America to do some work related to the PACE project. And I heard that she was back in town and I was back in town, so I popped into her office. I said, hiya, Tina. She says, oh, hiya, Barry. I said, how did your trip go, Tina? She goes, oh, my trip went really well, Barry. How did your trip go? My trip went really well, Tina. Do you fancy going out for another meal so we can have a proper catch-up? She says, oh, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to go out for another meal with you, Barry. So I took her for an Indian at night. I thought I really pushed the boat out. Imagine you're in the restaurant. We're chatting away. We've finished our first course. And then after the first course, she gets up and she walks to the back of the restaurant towards the bathroom. Have you heard how posh I am now, the bathroom? Used to be the bog years ago. (laughs) And these are my honest thoughts. Can I be honest with you here in Lim? These were my honest thoughts as she walked to the bathroom at the back. In my head, core. Look at those curves. Hasn't she, got an, hasn't she got a nice shape? Hasn't she got a nice... Listen, I'm a man, and I've been designed to be attracted to members of the opposite sex. That's how God has made me. But it's what I do with these thoughts. And I hadn't really thought like that for years. It was the first time I'd thought like that. And in my head, after getting these thoughts, I'm like, God, forgive me for thinking like this. Take these thoughts captive and bring them into line with the thoughts of Jesus. I shouldn't be thinking like this. And then she came out of the bathroom and she walked past the table. And as she walked past the table, the perfume she was wearing wafted underneath my nostrils. I thought, oh, that smells dead sexy, that. Oh, that smells really feminine. Smells like a proper woman. Not like you're all not proper women, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And she sat down. I remember finishing our meal. I remember dropping her off at a flat and I drove 
back to where I was living at the time. I was living in an annex that the businessman owned who owned Chapman's Hall. He, he owned a farm and, and I had this little annex that his mother-in-law used to live in that I lived in rent-free uh, for a number of years. And I remember going through my front door, walking into my front room. I remember going, God, take it so captive. Forgive me for thinking like this. This isn't part of my plan. And it was like God swapped me on the back of the neck. And he went, shut it. But God, shut up. But God, this isn't part of my plan. But shut up. And then I had this overwhelming sense that this was part of God's plan for my life. But it's not part, shut up. I thought, right. Do you know, I couldn't stop thinking about her. I went to work and I'm trying to work and I kept thinking about Tina. I thought, right, if this is of God, if this is part of God's plan for my life, I'm going to send her an email. <laughs> so I'm sat on my little annex one night and I picked my laptop up and I put it on my knee. And just before my fingers dance across the keyboard, this thought entered my mind. What if she doesn't fancy me in this way? But then another thought overshadowed that one. How can she resist? <laughs> you take the lad out of sulfur, but you can't take the sulfur out of the lad. It took me an hour and a half to write this email. Dear Tina, comma, space, because I'm educated now, I've been to Bible college. Do you think that God is in this relationship? Question mark, space, love, comma, space. Barry, smiley face. <laughs> An hour and a half. Because I didn't want to get it wrong. <laughs> See, we were friends, and I didn't want to say the wrong thing, so I kept changing it around, but that was my finished email. It took me about another 30 minutes to send it. I thought, oh, no, I don't want to ruin the friendship that we've got, because we're mates. And I respected her, I respected her faith, and she respected me, she respected my faith. And then I just closed my eyes and I thought, oh, send. Five minutes later, message in my inbox from Tina. I opened it. She'd wrote, dear Barry, comma, because she's always been educated, space. I like to think that God is in all our relationships. <laughs> space love Tina, smiley face. I thought, I know that. You think I'm daft? It took me 30 seconds to reply, return, Tina, no dear, no comma. I know that God is in all our relationships, but do you think there might be something more to this one? No love, Barry, no spell check, that's dangerous for me. <laughs> Send. Five minutes later, message in my inbox from Tina. I opened it, this is what she'd wrote. Maybe, question mark, question mark, question mark. Talk about play art again. <laughs> so I asked her out on a date. And she said, yes. It felt bizarre. Here I was, a grown man who'd been in lots of relationships asking a woman out for a first date. Bizarre. I remember that first date well. I'm in my little Annex getting ready. Due to pick her up at half seven. I've had my shave. I've had my shower. I've got my best clothes laid out on my bed. 
got the music playing in the background just to get in the mood, having a little dance. Got my Paco Riban on. And I get in my car, puts the CD in, winds the windows down, turns the music up. Drives to pick Tina up from Kirkholt Estate in Rochdale. Pulls around the corner, stops my car, sends her a text. Five minutes later, she walks out of the doors. I'll never forget the way she looked when she walked out of those doors. It's like she came out of those doors in slow motion with her hair bouncing. <laughs> and if she got closer, I looked at her, and do you know what I thought? She's really made an effort. Roots and all. You know, girls, when you really make an effort. <laughs> and then as she got closer, I could see she dressed really well. She got into that car and the perfume. I thought, oh, that smells dead sexy, that. That was the start of our relationship. Going out on that first date. It's like being 16 again. In fact, this whole episode felt so innocent, something that I had experiences before I became an addict. Now, Tina is my wife. God used Tina to restore my innocence. See, you can pick up your broken piece of innocence. What about you? Where was that placed on your journey? where your innocence was broken? Was your innocence broken in that place when someone took advantage of you? Was your innocence broken in that place where you were looking for love and you found abuse? Was your innocence broken in that place of addiction like me? Wherever that place was where your innocence was broken, God can restore it. God can come and pick up that broken piece of innocence from the place where it was scattered in your life. The Bible says that he can fix you like new. You can pick up your broken piece of innocence. I'm talking about broken pieces this morning. You can pick up your broken piece of fight. You can pick up your broken piece of innocence. And number three, you can pick up your broken piece of value. In the year 2000 and 2001, I led several teams to Ibiza because I used to be into DJing and the, the old Manchester scene and all of that. And I really believed when I was at college that that was going to be one of the main things that I was going to be doing, reaching club culture, and I did that for several years, and also going into prisons, which I still do. As you mentioned, thank you for the prayer before, by the way. I will be going into Thorncroft on Tuesday, and throughout the August month, I'm probably doing about 15 jails throughout the UK. I'm going on tour of the Scottish jails. I go down to London every August, because I'm a missionary to the UK. I'm a missionary to the UK. I don't accept any invitations other than invitations in the UK now. And I'm not against overseas missions. We're called to go here, there, and everywhere. It's all part and parcel of what the church is about. But my specific niche, my specific, specific calling is to be a missionary to reach the people of the United Kingdom. So I went to Ibiza with some teams. I'm not going to go on my own. I took some of the biggest, ugliest, hardest men you've ever seen. One of them was called David Blair. If you'd have been on our team, you'd have met him. David was a serious criminal in the 60s and 70s. In fact, he was part of a gang, or related to a gang, that was in Manchester called the Quality Street Gang. And for those of you who've been around for a while and you kind of come from the fringes of Manchester or Manchester, 
then you may have heard of the Quality Street Gang because they were massive in the 60s and 70s and, and through to the 80s, but they kind of, you know, things changed towards, and they, some of them are still alive today. If you looked at Dave, you could tell that he's, even looking at him now, that he's an ex-old school villain. Do you know the kind, anybody here ever watched Minder years ago? You know the, the, the typical villain that came on Minder? Do you know with the sideboards and, and the crombie jacket and the tie and, and, and that, that? That's the ilk of villain that David was. During his criminal Dave, days, David was full of bravado. But the reality was, his value was broken. He didn't value himself. He'd lost it in that place of the criminal world. The only value that he had was on the money that he made from the crimes that he committed. David was living in Carlisle in a flat with his wife. He was still linked to the Quality Street gang. And one afternoon, there was a knock on his front door. David opened it. I, uh, my name's Mike, and I've just been knocking on some doors in this area, and I'm a Christian. And before he could finish the word Christian, David slammed the door in his face. I don't want to talk to you, Christian guy. I don't want anything to do with you. The following day, there was a knock on David's door. David opened it. I, uh, my name's Mike, and before he could say anything more, he slammed the door in his face. Two days later, he's in Carlisle Town, Carlisle Town Centre with his wife, and who should he walk him towards him? Mike, the Christian guy. He thought, I can't get away from this guy. He's doing my head in. So we beelined in the other, other direction. The next day, there's a knock on his front door. David opened it. I am Matt, so David told him to go away politely. <laughs> and he thought to himself, I can't get away from this guy. He's going to keep coming back. I need to do something to make sure he never comes back again. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set him up. So David put pictures of naked ladies all over his living room walls. Two days later, there's a knock on his front door. David opened it. I, uh, my name, Mike. Yes, you told me your name, Mike. My name's David. Would you like to come in for a brew? I'd love to come in for a brew. So he led him through his hallway into the living room. He sits him on a chair right in front of all these pictures. And David sits opposite him. And David told me that he looked at his facial expressions when he saw the women on the wall. And then David smiled and he says, what do you think of them, mate? What do you think of them? Aren't they beautiful? Aren't they gorgeous? And Mike said, they are, David. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And then David said, there you are. You're no different than me, you Christian lot. We're all the same. And then Mike said, well, that depends, David. It depends how you're looking at those ladies on the wall. You see, when I'm looking at those women on the wall, I'm seeing them how God sees them. And when God looks to a person, he doesn't look to the outward appearance, he looks to the heart. You see, when God sees those naked ladies on the wall, David, he sees their true value. David told me, he said it was like I was hitting the face with a sledgehammer. And he thought, if God sees the true value in them, then he sees the true value in me, even though I'm a criminal. That afternoon in his flat in Carlisle, David opened the door of his life and he became a Christian. And because he realized 
God valued him, he instantly got his own value back. That afternoon, David picked up his broken piece of value. What about you? Where's your value in broken? Was it broken at school? Was it broken in a relationship? Was it broken in a job that didn't work out? Listen, whatever that place where, where your value was broken, God can help you get your value back. You see, God sees the true value in you. The Bible says that the very hairs of your head are numbered, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that you're his most treasured possession. God values you. And he can help you get your value back. He can come and pick up that broken piece of value from the place where it was scattered in your life. Don't you listen to those feds in your life taunting you. Tap, 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 you're rubbish. Tap, 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 you're hopeless. Tap, 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 you're a waste of time. God values you. And he can give you your value back. You can pick up your broken piece of value. I'm talking about broken pieces this morning. You can pick up your broken piece of fight. You can pick up your broken piece of innocence. You can pick up your broken piece of value. And number four, you can pick up your broken piece of swagger. Has something happened to you on your journey that has shattered your confidence, your swagger? Has your swagger been broken or left at some place on your journey? Do you know that you can get your swagger back? I know because my swagger was broken. Now I've got it back. I hated school. Anybody in it like school? My nickname at school was Bungalow. Why? Because I didn't have much upstairs. <laughs> the wheel was turning, but the hamster was dead. Hated school. The only thing I liked about school was the parties. Except for that party where Viv Dean fell over and broke that window into pieces. Didn't learn much at school. The one thing that I did learn at school was the Mancunian swag off. Feet at 10 to 2, shoulders back, walking with a spring in my step, walking through Manchester Arndale with my Takini tracksuit on, my Kango hat on, innit, with my sovereign wing on, and my crew grand on my little finger, innit. One thing I did learn was the Mancunian swagger. I left school at the age of 16 with no qualifications, started to take recreational drugs. Then I started to use harder drugs and eventually became a heroin addict. I started to deal drugs to pay for my own addiction. And being a dealer gave me swagger. I lived in Moss Side. I had a nice car, a nice flat. I had nice clothes. It wasn't long before I was arrested. Got put into jail. Being a criminal gave me swagger. Didn't have to work nine to five. I had money in my pocket. And I remember coming out from that first time in jail. I was under 21. I'd been in Strangeways on remand, and I went straight back to the crime. Straight back to the drugs, wheeling and dealing. It wasn't long before I was arrested again. Got put back into jail. Did a little bit, bit more time. Came out straight back to the drugs. I came out from one sentence. And do you know what? God knows this is true. I stayed awake for nine months. I mean, when I say that, I think that's a long time, and I, but I know that it's true, and I can say it hand on heart, and I know God was there, and all that being a Christian and knowing God's around, he was there nine months taking loads of amphetamine. When it came to using drugs, I was the extreme user. Came in drugs, 
nine months. If you'd have seen me, you'd have thought I looked like Skeletor on acid. Like 22-inch waist, gone. And eventually I started to hear voices because I stayed awake for so long. The diagnosis was amphetamine psychosis. The doctor referred me to a psychiatrist and I got sent to Chiro Psychiatric Hospital. That was the place where I lost my swagger. My confidence was smashed. My swagger was broken. Flash forward nine years. I'm still hearing voices. My swag is still broken. By this point in my life, I was so poor, I used to go to KFC to lick other people's fingers. I've lived in three hostels. I've spent a year in James Street, Salvation Army Hostel. Lived in a hostel in Rochdale for eight weeks. Got kicked out for having a fight with a scouser. Lived in Leopold Court Hostel, which is a council-run hostel. And then I got a little flat down a little cul-de-sac, and I was really chuffed. Plastic windows, view of a football field. I thought, this will do me nicely. I've arrived. This is the countryside. I like living in Lynn, this. In it. In it. And throughout a 10 day period, I met three people. One of them was a guy that I got chatting to on a bus. One of them was my new psychiatrist who I'd met for the first time. And one of them was my next door but one neighbor. All these three people were Christians. And my next door but one neighbor invited me to church one Sunday morning. And I came to church and I thought everybody in that church were basket cases. Because they were using a language that I wasn't used to, literally. And they were doing things that I wasn't used to. I remember being sat there, they got the flags out, and I'm thinking, what are they trying to do, direct the planes in or what? <laughs> Started to do dancing and stuff, I'm thinking, what's all that about, that Pentecostal two-step? <laughs> I thought they were all nutcases. But then the guy gets up, he's speaking, and after his little message, he said this, we believe in a God who can heal. He said, is there anybody in this room who's got any issues? I thought, does he want someone with issues? got plenty of those. He said, if you want to be prayed for, come to the front. I remember thinking this, what have I got to lose? And I got out of my seat and I walked to the front and I'm the only one stood there. He put his hand on my head. He said, what do you want, to, what do you want me to pray with you for? And I told him. He said, well, I've been on heroin 15 years. I'm on 55 mils of methadone. I was, that's what I was on at that time and I've been maintained at that for years. I said, but the main thing I need prayer for is I'm hearing voices. I suffer from amphetamine psychosis. My confidence is just gone. He says, okay, I'll pray for you. And he put his hand on my head. I'm thinking, what's he got his hand on my head for? It's a culture clash, you see. I was going to headbutt him, you know. <laughs> Don't do that in my world, bang. <laughs> he put his hand on my head and he started to pray. I'll never forget. This is 19 years ago. I'm stood in a little church. He started to pray in the name of Jesus and he started to pray in the name of Jesus. I remember shaking as he was praying. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on here? Put your hand off my head. What's going on here? Tears started to run down my cheeks. Chapter 13 of my book, which you can buy today, by the way. Just so happens I've got some here. And for every one book you buy, we send two into prisons free of charge. I mentioned that last time I was here. We started a project in 2007 to give a copy of my book, Once and Addict, to every prisoner in the country. The numbers have changed from then till now, but at the moment there's about 84,000 prisoners behind bars throughout the whole of the United Kingdom. And we've sent just under 40,000 copies of that book out free of charge. So when I go to Thorn Cross on Tuesday, we send 100 books in. When I do my 
15 or 18 jails throughout August. We send 100 books to every prison I go to. Sometimes we send more. And we just keep sending those books out, keep sending those books out. So if you buy a book today, you're actually buying three books. So you're buying two to go into prisons. That's one way of getting books into jails for us. Chapter 13 of that book is called God Encounter. And he explains in more detail how he had in this encounter as he was praying for me, shaking, crying. I felt warm, like an intense heat inside my body. I'm thinking, wow, get your hand off me. Wow. And as he started to pray in the name of Jesus, he didn't pray in the name of Allah, he didn't pray in the name of Buddha, he was praying in the name of Jesus. And as he started to pray, something started to happen. And he said, amen. I'm thinking, does that mean he's finished? I remember I opened my eyes and looking up, his, his hand had gone and he'd sat down. And I walked back to that seat. And something had changed. Something had happened. You see, all my natural get up and go had got up and gone. Because drugs had become my get up and go, I had to have drugs to function. But on that day in that church, all my natural get up and go that had got up and gone, got up and came back. Because God became my get up and go. I haven't been the same since. You see, I was changed 19 years ago in that little church in Rochdale. And I stand before you today still changed. You can't tell me that there's no God. You can't tell me that God isn't alive. He's real. He's alive. And he's interested in you. Because he does not fuss it. Is he? Looking at some of your faces, he's so not fussy. He's not fussy. But we have to make a decision for ourselves. Coming to church is one thing, and that's great, and that's good. But that's not it. What is it you know in God and you know her? Or you know God personally? You invite him in through the front door. You see, that's what happened with Adele. She invited God in through her front door at our first fixed conference. She made a decision to get God on a case, and he came in. And since then, her life has been dramatically changed, just like I did. four weeks after being prayed for in that little church, I was off all the drugs. I mean, I got to the stage in my life where I was injecting drugs in my groin. No veins in my arms still. When I go to have my bloods done at any hospital, any appointment, they struggle to get veins. The only vein they can use is there because I've injected so much. My veins have sunk into my muscles. So what happens in the end, you inject in your groin with a big, that's how low I got. changed stand before you today still changed never taking drugs since within four weeks I was off all the drugs I remember walking home springing my step buzzing I walked into my flat closed the door behind me and I stood there listening no voices and I haven't heard voices since until I got married to Tina. <laughs> now they've come back. Worse than ever. Oh. That was the day when I got my swagger back. Because now my swagger is from God. The Bible says, such confidence is ours through Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? God with skin on. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, God became a man. His name is Jesus. 
And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to take the rap for you. He died on that cross to pay the price for all your faults, for all your flaws, and for all your failures. So that you can make a connection with him. And when you open the door and you invite him in, you get a swagger that comes directly from God. You get a confidence from God. Look at me. I've picked up my broken piece of swagger. See, I used to have the Mancunian swagger. Now I've got the liberation swagger. I used to have the dealer's swagger. Now I've got Jesus, the healer's swagger. I used to have the criminal swagger. Now I've got the creator's swagger. See, I've picked up my broken piece of swagger from the place where it was scattered in my life. Has your swagger been broken? Has your swagger been left at some place on your journey? Do you know? You can get your swagger back. You can pick up your broken piece of swagger. I'm going to finish by taking you back to that party. We all like a good party, don't we? The music was playing. The girls were dancing around their handbags. The lads were smoking part dry, trying to look hard, blowing smoke rings. <laughs> Some were drinking cider. The rich ones were drinking pomade. And then the incident occurred. There was a massive smash. What's that? I ran through the kitchen door into the wooden outhouse and Vivdeen had fallen over and put her hand through a big window. The glass was shattered into pieces. There's a piece outside, down the side of the settee, in the yard, in the dog's bed. It was all over the place. Today I've been on a journey with you. I've taken you on a journey to visit some of those places where your broken pieces have been scattered. So that you can pick them up. You can pick up your broken piece of fight, number one. You can pick up your broken piece of innocence, number two. You can pick up your broken piece of value, number three. You can pick up your broken piece of swagger. And this is how it works. When you make God your centerpiece, he comes and takes these broken pieces and he creates a masterpiece. You can pick up your broken pieces. Everybody stand, please. I'm going to finish by praying a prayer. This is how it works. Let me explain it to you. God stands at the door of our life and he knocks. And he knocks and he knocks and he knocks. And he waits for us to make a choice. He gives us that choice, the power of free will. He gives us that choice. And if we choose to, we can open the door and we can invite God in. And then he comes in and he starts to restore everything that's been lost. He comes and picks up those broken pieces from the places where they were scattered. But he can only do that if you give him permission to come in. Because he stands at the door and he knocks. And he knocks. He'll never try and burgle his way into your life. If God was a burglar, he'd wait for it to go dark and he'd come and he'd try and kick in that door. If he couldn't kick in that door, he'd try and kick in the back door. If he couldn't kick in the back door, he'd try and kick in the side door. If he couldn't kick the doors in, he'd try and jemmy in through the downstairs windows. That's if God was a burglar. But God's not a burglar. He'll never try and burgle his way in. He'll only ever come in if you give him permission. If you open the door. And then once you open that door and he comes and he starts to restore us and things start to become clearer. And some people say, well, I need to have everything worked out before I make any kind of commitment to God. That was my wife. She was at Nottingham University after moving from the south to study there. And she was at an event organised. Well, it was a friend of mine who was speaking called J. John. And she was in there, sat with the group, and she's thinking, well, I need to have everything worked out. And he said at the end of his little talk, he says, you take one step towards God and he'll take the other 999 towards you. And she just took that one step. She opened the door. She got God in. And things started. Oh, why? Okay. Yeah, now it makes sense. 
That's how it is. So I'm going to pray a prayer. There's two groups of people who are going to pray this prayer with me. The first group are those people who have never prayed any kind of prayer before. You have never... Well, you may have prayed a crisis prayer. I've played loads of these. Prayed loads of these. God, give me bail. <laughs> give me bail. I'll never do anything ever again. This is the last time. Well, I, I never got bail, usually. <laughs> so you might have prayed a few crisis prayers, but you've never given God permission to come into your life. It could be that you've been coming to this church. You've got friends in this church. You could be part of the youth group. Youth group, your mum and dad may be coming to the church for years. I don't know. You may have been brought by a friend. And you kind of got a bit of a search going on for something out there. Is there more to life than this? Well, there is. And today you can pray a prayer and that can become more clearer to you. So like I said, it's not about coming to church and enjoying the music and mixing with people. It's about you knowing God and then you come to church. You enjoy the music and you mix with people. The main thing is you knowing God and you know it for yourself. So the first group of people are those people who have never prayed a prayer before where you've given God permission to come into your life. You're going to pray this prayer with me this morning. You're going to park your pride outside and you're going to pray this prayer. The other group of people are those people who may have prayed a prayer in the past. You have given your life to God. You know the score. But you know right now you're not cutting it. You're not living how God wants you to live. Listen. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am so not about that, and I know that God is not about that. But what I'm here to say to you is pray this prayer and get back on track. And God will forgive and forget, and you can just get on with the rest of your journey. That's how it works. You just need to get back into the groove of your faith. So there's two groups of people who are going to pray this prayer with me, whether you're 9, 19, or 99. You can pray this prayer with me. The first group, you've never prayed a prayer before, you're going to pray this prayer, you're going to give God permission to come in through the front door. Like Adele did, like I did, like Dave did in Carlisle. Don't shut the door on God like Dave kept doing. You need to open the door. The second group, you're going to pray this prayer to get back on track. Everybody else, you make up the third group. You're going to pray this prayer to encourage the first group and the second group. Let's bow our heads. All three groups, let's pray this prayer together. This is between you and God himself. I'm just a in-between person. I'm just a mediator. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, phrase by phrase, and you're going to repeat this prayer after me. All three groups repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you today and I admit that I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my faults, for my flaws, for my failures. Wipe my slate clean. Today, I'm opening my door, my will, and I'm inviting you in. Sit in my driving seat. Take hold of my steering wheel. Today, I give my life to you. While I heads the bow, no looking around. Keep, keep your pride parked outside. If you've prayed that prayer and you're part of the first group or the second group, can I ask you to raise your hand so I can see it as quickly as you can? Keep your hands raised, keep your hands raised, keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Put your hands down. Nine. There might be a few more of you who've prayed that prayer. I'm going to count down ten seconds. There's eight, nine people raise their hands there. But there might be a few more of you. I'm going to count down ten seconds. If you've raised your hand already, you don't need to raise it again. But I'm going to count down 10 seconds to give the rest of you who have prayed that prayer, who are part of the first group or the second group, 10 more seconds to raise your hand to say, yeah, I've prayed that prayer, I've opened the door for the first time, or I've reconnected. Keep your hands down if you've raised your hand already. Anybody else prayed that prayer, raise your hand so I can see it. 10, 
Got one over here. Thank you. Anybody else? Another two. Anybody else? Three. Anybody else? As I count down. Ten. Nine. Four. Anybody else? Another four people. Anybody else? As I count down. Eight. Seven. Anybody else? Raise your hand so I can see it. Six. Five. Anybody else? Four. Got one here. Yes. Another one. Five more people already on this second. Anybody else? Three. Another one here. That's six more. Anybody else? That's 15 altogether. Anybody else? Two. Park your pride outside. Your pride can stop you making the connection with the living God this morning. Anybody else? Another one here. Thank you. Another one here. Another two. Anybody else? That's 17. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I want to thank you for the people here this morning. Thank you for this church, Lynn. Lynn Baptist Church, thank you for their heart. Thank you for their commitment. And God, I want to pray for those who have responded this morning. For whatever, whether it's that first group or the second group, wherever they're at on their journey in life, and regarding you, I want to pray that today would be a date in their diary, a significant date, a date that they will remember because they've connected or reconnected with the living God. And when they look back to this day, may they say, that was the day when I was changed and here I am, still changed, many weeks, months, or years later. I'm going to count to three. There's 16, 17 people raised their hands. And as I count to three, all those people who raise your hands, whether you're part of the first group or the second group, I want you to walk through this door, or through that back door, and go into the room at the side here, because there's a, we've brought some bits and bobs. Uh, as, uh, do you say bits and bobs? Bought some bits and bobs that we want to give you because that prayer is the beginning of a journey or it's a reconnection. You need to know what to do next. So as a charity, we've produced a DVD called What's Next? And on that DVD, it explains what you need to do next. And we want to give you one of those free of charge and someone from the church is going to stand with you. And people often say to me, Barry, how did you get from where you was to where you are now? Well, I didn't do it on my own. I had the support from that church that I started going to. I've only ever been in two churches in my life, and that was the first one, and I've been in another one for the last 12 years. And I still go back to that first one regularly. They're still my friends, and I speak in that church and stuff. So I'm going to count to three. So the 17 people that raise your hands, you're going to leave your seats on the point of three. You're going to rather walk out of that back door, through this door, and, and just going to go into this little room at the side, and someone's going to come and stand with you. Are we ready? As quickly as you can. One, two, three. You go now. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause as they leave. Thank you very much. Do you want another song? I don't yeah, we'll one song. Isn't that fantastic? I get excited when I see stuff like that. That gets me up in the morning. That keeps me on the road 150 days a year, at least. Simon, finish with a song, please. Thank you very much. <laughs>